Welcome back to Making It. We are kicking off season two with just another flutist, or just another flautist, depending on which social platform you're looking her up on. Joanna is a flute teacher, a YouTuber, a Twitch streamer, like an everythinger. Uh, basically, she's a content creator, and we get into what music school is like for the both of us, how he went from kind of living in the classical music realm to then straddling both the classical music and the pop culture online content creation world. Joanna talks about how she found her true passion in teaching, how she started up her private studio, and how she took what I think is the boldest move to overcome her imposter syndrome, which is by practicing on live streams for other people to see. It was a really great chat with Joanna. We shared a lot about our experiences, all the good and all the bad of music school, auditions, making videos, streaming, and this whole online community sort of thing. So I hope that you enjoy and uh, that you are ready for another season of Amazing Guests. If this is the first time you're tuning in to Making It, there's a whole other season, 10 episodes with filmmakers, YouTubers, Twitch streamers, musicians, all talking about their different creative processes and building up a brand and what it's like to be posting content and all that. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, which I hope you are because you, you are listening to this episode, uh, go check it out and I hope you enjoy. Hello. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> um yeah it's it's very nice to get to it's been nice to chat with you on streams on your streams yeah. on my streams wherever mm -hmm. on fun. discord <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah and so i've been asking everybody how they got started on twitch as that seems to be the place that i'm meeting most people nowadays um same yep <laughs> so how'd you get started on twitch well, um, I started on YouTube, actually, and um, I'd been watching Twitch for a while. Uh, I was introduced to it by my husband, um, then my boyfriend, um, and we're, you know, into video games and stuff like that. So Twitch is, you know, a very obvious platform to consume, right? So uh, we watched a lot of, and we still watch a lot of streamers. Um, on Twitch, but um, I would say that like it didn't really cross my mind for a long time to like come onto Twitch and stream playing classical music. You know, it's just you know it's not really the first platform you think of for classical music. Mm -hmm. So you know, it was kind of not on my radar for a while. Um, but what it what is really funny is that I found out later on that. Twitch had bought JustIn.TV, and I had actually live streamed my master's graduation recital oh. um, on JustIn.TV. <laughs> oh wow! You're so like I, OG. <laughs> yeah, like I have, I have an account that essentially got bought by Twitch, but I lost the password to that account, so that's why. Um, on Twitch, I'm just another flautist. <laughs> and then on YouTube, I'm better known as just another flutist. I actually have a just another flutist account on Twitch, but mm -hmm. I don't have the password to it. So, um, cause it was, I made it back when it was just in.tv. So, 
Um, like I found that out later though, because I was like, wait, what? It was like it got bought by. So I have actually been on here for a long time, but uh, I didn't actually join in earnest until I think like three years ago now. Um, I was doing these like practice with me's on YouTube, and then it uh, the I kept getting DMCA'd for public domain mm -hmm. music, like it was still being flagged. So I kept being demonetized and then it would be like a multi-week like, you know, ordeal to get it monetized again. So I was just so tired of doing that, that I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go over to Twitch and stream instead of like making a pre-filmed pre-edited video i was like i'm just gonna do it live because you know i i want to have a space where i can just explore um and the other thing that i really wanted to do was kind of get out of my own head because you know when you're practicing you tend to kind of burrow deep into your own head and um you know, I, there were, I had a lot of problems with like practice anxiety and then also um, just f how to figure things out in the practice room, right? Mm -hmm. Like I had a lot of problems doing that because I just didn't know where to start. I was so used to relying on a teacher. So um, I was like, well, nothing to it but to start from the bottom and just figure my way out of this. So hopped onto Twitch and Honestly, it's been a great time ever since. Mm -hmm. I have really enjoyed it here. Like Twitch is like such a, it's so chill compared to YouTube. And yeah. <laughs> I really like that vibe. Mm. You know, everyone's just kind of hanging out. And... I do feel like YouTube is more formal in a way, I suppose. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's, <laughs> you have to kind of almost put on like a presentation mm. role, you know? Um, why? I wonder why that is. <laughs> I don't know. I think, like, I know for a fact that my videos that have really taken off are my how-to videos. So there is definitely, like, a lot of people use YouTube, especially when it comes to classical music. They use it as an educational platform. Mm -hmm. So there is this kind of, like, weird parasocial teacher-student relationship um, so there is a power dynamic, I think. I don't necessarily like it, but it it's there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's why, at least for my channel, I end up having to put on more of like a presentation voice mm. for it. Not that I mind it. I feel like <laughs> you get to see another part of me, right? Yeah. Because um, I like being a teacher too, so they get to see my teacher side, right? But on Twitch, they get to see my student side, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were there, like, were there people who were predominantly on YouTube, like your viewers on YouTube, who then came to join you on Twitch? It's still happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, because in the beginning, I didn't make a huge deal out of it. And 
I was still trying to figure out how this whole thing worked and how the community worked. And I wanted to kind of make an existing community first of like the people who really wanted to make this happen. Like I wanted them to kind of form a core community and then it'll be easier for us to invite other people in with a core community that already has kind of these core values of like how we how we want our community to feel. So, um, you know, I just didn't really tell that many people. So only like, you know, a handful of people from a literal handful of people <laughs> from my YouTube channel came over. Some people really didn't like that I became a streamer. Um, mm. I think there was a misunderstanding of what streaming is. So um, in the beginning, I got a lot of hate for it. Um, people were telling me that because they're so used to my videos being like, minimum 10 minutes long, maximum 20, 25 minutes long, something like that. Um, like a lot of people were really used to watching my videos in one go. Um, looking back, I realized I probably should have made a video explaining how my live streams work, which mm -hmm. is like it's live and you're not obligated to watch it all. Um, it's long because I'm trying to catch different people in different time zones. Um, and they're not at regular hours also because I'm trying to catch people at different time zones, right? And, you know, drop by for five, 10 minutes, say hi, would love to see you, you know, see you, you know, like live. And um, I never made that video. Um, I'm still wondering if I should. I haven't really made a decision about it, but, um, what I've started to do now that I'm more confident in my streaming abilities, um, I've started to post my VODs onto my Facebook, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> my like official Facebook page so that, you know, cause people can like click through and see what it's like to kind of hang out with me. So I've started to get a pretty consistent trickle of new viewers coming in um, every week. Um, and you can tell from their Twitch name because it has like something flute in it, you know? <laughs> and I'm kind of like, mm, I think they're coming from my YouTube channel, you know? Mm -hmm. And the way that they join the chat, the way that they speak, because um, usually you can tell if they're from Twitch, if they join and immediately use an emote, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like if they're coming from YouTube, because YouTube is a very like verbal community. So there's not as many emotes over on YouTube, especially in the comments, there's basically no emotes, right? <laughs> like, uh, I think they're only just starting to introduce emotes in yeah. uh, YouTube live chat, right? Yeah. The community there is, is still very used to like verbalizing everything. So if they come in and they the first thing they say is, hi, everyone, or hi, Joanna, and I've never <laughs> seen their username before, I'm like, ah, oh, you're from YouTube. Mm. <laughs> like, welcome <laughs> to the Twitch community. Yeah. <laughs> we will you know bring you to the dark side <laughs> but but yeah cool. it's um yeah so it, it's still happening the the slow trickle from youtube and then That's they get to see a different side of me which is really fun i think as a viewer i mean also as a streamer like i know like wanting to catch people at, in different time zones and such and so, mm -hmm. or you stream longer so people have a chance to come watch you. But also yeah. as a viewer, I want to be there for the entirety. <laughs> mm -hmm. So like mm -hmm. when there's such long streams, like, and I, if I can't stay, then I feel really bad about it. <laughs> right. No, I feel you too. 
Mm -hmm. I feel you. It's strange. (laughs) I would say that like um, due to my schedule, because I essentially base my um, my stream schedule on my teaching schedule. So I'll Mm -hmm. actually slot only one hour in at a time because that's all I can afford. Um, And that gives me that happy medium of if someone wants to stay for an entire hour, it's still in the grand scheme of live streams, one hour is very short. short. <laughs> yeah, it's extremely short, mm-hmm. um, which was really funny because in the beginning, the hate comments that I got on YouTube that I mentioned earlier, they actually said things like, um, how can you expect us to sit here for an hour or more just listening to you? You know, like, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I even got one commenter who like repeatedly put this on all of my live streams on Why? YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's just they weren't used to it. You know, like they were really hung up on staying with the like 10 minute to 25 minute video length. Did you um, stop doing the, the those videos when you started live streaming? Um, I stopped doing them as often. Mm because they were burning me out. Mm-hmm. Um, making videos like that is a full-time job and I wasn't being paid enough to do it as a full-time job. It, it just was not paying the bills, you know? Like what pays my bills is regular teaching, Yeah, you know? Um, and I recognize that I'm not a large content creator. So it's very impractical for me to put all my eggs into content creation mm-hmm. um so i i didn't do it as often so the videos just come out more infrequently and yeah i think people didn't like that but at the same time i was like i have to stick to my guns because i either switch course and do more live streams with fewer edited videos and that is sustainable for me And so I can go on longer, but have slightly less content or I keep burning myself out and then I never make content again. But like, I don't think those people are thinking about longevity. I don't think they're thinking about sustainability. In fact, I don't really think that they think I'm real. So, (laughs) you know, they don't think of me. Yeah, I don't think they think of me as a real person. So part of me, as much as I hate the way that they think, I kind of see where they're coming from like Mm -hmm. to me i am just an entertainer so Mm -hmm. i should stick with entertaining them i suppose that makes sense (laughs) like i get it i don't like it but i get it (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah why so why did you start posting onto youtube those like how-to videos and such ah yeah well i never meant for them to become a thing um it was just that I just enjoyed content creation. Like I just enjoy making funny videos. And the only thing I know about is music and the flute. So it just kind of was uh, like, I could just make a ton of content on it because I just know a lot about this stuff, right? So easy content for me, essentially. And Mm -hmm. I get to mess around with editing and filming, right? So the easiest thing to do because you know people are essentially giving me content to make they put in the comments how do you do this how do you do that and i'm like okay cool like thank you for (laughs) the uh list of content ideas right so i would essentially just kind of do whatever people asked me about 
you know, and then if I noticed that there were certain questions that kept repeating and but they would more so point to like another um, aspect of music making or flute playing that, you know, I'm noticing that a lot of people are missing, they'll be like, okay, like I'll make a video about that, etc. But then sometimes I'll think of like a story of mine that I want to tell. So I'll just make a video about that. Um, but that was all not supposed to be um, taken as like formal training for anyone watching it. I never meant for that. If if anything, I was I was wanting to just put my education out there and as a resource for people, but not as like a, oh, whatever Joanna says, it's true, mm. which unfortunately happened. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I found out about it through the grapevine through my students um, because uh, I tend to talk a lot about like how things feel inside your mouth when you play certain flutes because I review flutes with the Flute Center of New York. And like I play test flutes and I talk about how they feel. And um, this was before I figured out a way of like, um, like what I currently do is I will blow on my hand and describe the shape of the airstream and how, you know, and also like how high pressure the airstream is and stuff like that. So people at home can do it on their own hands and essentially feel out like, what it feels for their mouth to create such an airstream and would you be comfortable playing a flute that I am playtesting, right? So I hadn't come up with that yet at that point. Like I literally jumped into this reviewing thing like with no idea what I was doing. So in the beginning when I was still like experimenting with how to actually review a flute, I was experimenting with like how do I verbalize what I'm feeling in my mouth? And so for... Um, for a specific brand of flutes, I was saying like, I'm gonna, not going to say the brand here because I again, do not want to perpetuate this. But okay. there is a specific brand of flute where I personally feel that there's like, I, it's like I have to sh like hold the shape of an egg in my mouth. And like, I kind of like rotate the egg based on like how high I'm playing or how low I'm playing. Like, I feel like I'm holding that in my mouth. Mm -hmm. My first thought was, what at what orientation is this egg in? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I think it was like one head joint was the wider side of the egg was like towards the front of the mouth and the huh. narrower end were, was towards the back. And then there was another head joint where it was flipped. So it was it was pretty interesting, right, to like kind of make that distinction. So um I would say maybe like half a year later after I had made that video, I started to get some new students because I, I have sort of like a slow trickle of students coming in all the time. To be completely honest, it's, it's a bit of a revolving door because people have, you know, life happens to people. And, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes a lot of times I, I'm not people's forever teacher, you know, and that's OK. That's just kind of part of life. And so um, I started to get a trickle of students who all started talking about this mysterious egg in their mouth. And I'm just like, I have, like, I came up with that. Like, I, mm. but I didn't mean for it to be like a flute terminology. Like, I didn't, because not all flutes play like that. You don't feel the egg in your mouth in literally every single flute you play. It was just that specific brand, mm. right? And it even within that brand, it's just that specific model, you know? So I was like, oh, shoot, you know, like, wait, they're taking what I'm saying, like, very literally, like, 
this is how you play a flute. So from then on, I had to like put the, a disclaimer on all of my videos that like, this is just how I feel playing this flute. You may not necessarily feel exactly the same way and that's mm-hmm. okay. Like, and also I might sound good on this flute, but one, I might not be comfortable doing it, right? Because that would mean that it doesn't fit me. Um, but two, like, um, just because something is uncomfortable for me, it doesn't mean it's going to be uncomfortable for you. It might be very comfortable for you. But mm-hmm. also what might be uncomfortable to you might be comfortable to me. And yeah. that is also okay. And so like that was a wake-up call for me was mm-hmm. when I realized that people took what I said just at face value and did not question it. Um, and it terrified me because I was like, oh my gosh, people, please critical thinking please Mm -hmm. you know like um so i would say that after i started to really put those disclaimers in um and put them at the forefront of my videos too um i I noticed that there was a slow change in people's attitudes towards um how they think of flutes or how they think of flute playing and it was really nice because now what it means is that people can share discourse over like how how to play the flute you know and we it it creates a community where we can share like oh with this body type you know you might have these issues or with this like hand finger proportion you might have these issues on Mm -hmm. the flute etc but they're very you know based on your finger proportions you might have a different way of holding the flute you know that is comfortable for you and i really like that because it means that there's no like my way or the highway kind of attitude yeah it's a lot more chill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, everybody just takes what they see on the internet for what it is. And yeah. we don't really think more about it. <laughs> Which is terrifying. Like, I'm like, especially as someone, you know, who has been trained in mm-hmm. flute playing, it, you know, for like two degrees, like, knowing what I've been trained and then seeing how people just like, you know, Kirby inhale everything (laughs) without any discrimination at all. Like it's, or Mm -hmm. discernment is is a better word for it. Like it just is very terrifying because essentially a lot of people are, they're trying to learn, for example, very advanced techniques, but maybe they're at a beginner level and it's not appropriate for them like a beginner to learn vibrato, for instance. Right? Have you ever like, like lost students over that kind of thing? I think I have. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's just a like, I would say, a guess of mine, because mm-hmm. um, usually what happens in those cases is they ghost me. I get it too. I totally understand that it's a really awkward conversation to have if they feel that I'm not a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. I would rather have a blunt conversation where they just tell me like, hey, Joanna, like you're cool, but not for me. You know, mm-hmm. like I would rather have that conversation, but I understand that most people don't want to have that conversation. Um, and what happened a lot in the lessons leading up to being ghosted is um a lot of t- a lot of the times they're just like you know Joanna just tell me what to do and i'm like i can't do that we we have to have a discussion you have to yeah. 
play for me and then you have to tell me how you feel because I'm not you like I'm not I can't read your mind and yeah. I don't have your body like the way I experience the world is through my body and my body proportions so like I'm not going to immediately know how it feels to play the flute with massive hands you know I have really tiny tiny hands so <laughs> like yeah I would say that like definitely i I've at this point now, I would say that I've lost all my students that have previously asked me, Joanna, just tell me what to do, mm-hmm. which like, you know, it makes me sad because I really loved them. Um, I, I genuinely really cared for them. And I did want to kind of bring them into a more sort of like critical thinking kind of attitude towards the flute. But mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I think some people don't want that, you know. And they are paying me for a service and I'm not delivering the service that they want. So why would they continue paying for it? Right. I guess. So, <laughs> like I get it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to put that blame on them either. They're looking for something. I'm not giving it to them. Yeah. Why continue? Yeah. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Did you start like, did you start posting all of the youtube stuff while you were in school or was this after i started in school Mm. but i didn't do any how to's while i was in school um because i didn't feel like i had the qualifications to Mm -hmm. do so um i would be what i describe as the underdog of my school (laughs) um i was not the best flutist um I can confidently say I was the best chamber flutist so if anyone wanted to like play with me in chamber music I was everyone's first choice (laughs) but when it came to solo music though I was very weak like very very weak um you just didn't really have a soloistic sound um didn't know how to express myself as a soloist like I just didn't have that kind of Power and that sort of like crazy soloistic presence that you need. I feel that. <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's hard. Like I, I would say that I can do it now, but it's also many, many years after I graduated from my <laughs> master's that mm. I've developed this. And it has been very intentional to understand what it's like and how to actually do this. But back then, I I really didn't have that. And the biggest shtick back then was um, finding your own sound, you know? I was was so frustrated about that throughout also my two degrees. Like, (laughs) I was really confused mostly in my undergrad of like, how am I supposed to have, do these lessons and where you're basically kind of told what you should do or shouldn't do but then also find your own sound within that and your own interpretations exactly i was you know (laughs) because if you try to do your own interpretations it gets shot down yeah instead of discussed like it's i i think it should be discussed like you know if you're in school and especially in post-secondary uh education i think it should be more discussion than it is just being shot down like you know i don't think i even tried to have my own interpretation so i was never shot down but i just never even got to that point 
Yeah. I got shot down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, I got shot down in terms of uh, I wanted to share my joy of live performing, you know. So I, you know, in our in a group discussion we were talking about like performing and how do you perform and so I was getting really excited talking about this idea of like connecting with your audience and like I think I was a content creator even back then like in my heart you know that this desire to connect directly with your audience I think is the core um like a core personality trait of Mm. content creators and um yeah you feel it too right (laughs) so like um i was talking about this idea of like when you go out on stage like you want to reflect um emotions and energy to the audience knowing that they are going to reflect it right back at you you know so i was talking about this concept and then um it just got shut down. I was told that not everyone thinks that way, so we're moving on to the next discussion. That was it? Oh, man. Yeah, that was it. It was just kind of slashed like that. And um, it was, it felt bad because, you know, like I was just like, I was so excited about this. Like, I feel like this was such a, as I said, like a core personality trait of mine. Um, especially as a performer and for it to just get shot down like that was just really disheartening Mm -hmm. and um, it made it so that everything after that I realized where my place was in the school right Mm -hmm. like I realized that I couldn't have those discussions so I did just kind of like do things the way I was told Um, not that I would have like necessarily actually agreed with it but I also wasn't really um educated on exactly how to research my music I wasn't really um educated on how to um like discern what is traditional versus what is um where you can kind of like interpret like make your own interpretation Mm -hmm. I wasn't really educated on how to do really any of that um and I understand why, because we didn't have time. Yeah. I think right. I mentioned this like just yesterday on my stream um, because yeah. we were talking about music production and and because I was doing a live composition on stream yesterday. So I had my DAW open on the screen and you could see everything that I'm doing. And mm-hmm. so we were, we were talking about how we don't really get to learn any of that in, in school. And so like no. all of that is self-taught for me. Because we didn't have time to do that in school because, you know, you have ensemble rehearsals, you have to practice your own solo repertoire, and you have all these other classes that you have to do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's it's crazy how much you have to prepare in music school. Um, For me, it was um, wind quintet. Um, We were hardcore. And then there's lesson material and within the lesson material, um, I'm sure you had this type of thing too, where like you're assigned, you know, 
Tafnell and Gobert, 17 big daily exercises. For us, it was to have number four memorized and um, you had to recite it. Um, it. For those of you who don't know what this is, it's in, it just it goes on forever. It's basically scale exercises that just go on forever. And flute you're Bible. <laughs> yeah, it is the flute Bible, the Tafnell and Gobert 17 big daily exercises, which some... <laughs> Uh, angel uploaded onto IMSLP because it is now public domain. Nice. So, yeah, if you guys <laughs> listening are curious as to what this looks like, just look up Taffanel and Gobert 17 Big Daily Exercises IMSLP. Look that up. It's the first thing on Google. And um, so, you know, like you're, you're memorizing all this stuff. It's all this insane technique that you have to prepare for. So you're preparing for what's called jury exams, right? Which are the, um, the your, your practical exam, instrument exam at the end of every semester. But then you also, for like starting third year, you do, you know, junior recital. Um, and then, you know, in your fourth year, you do your senior recital. And so, like, it's just so many things to practice for. There is no time to educate us on how to do literally everything else. Like, you only have time to practice and perform. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. I definitely felt like, you know, music school was not the like discussion heaven that I thought it was. I mean, I did get a taste of that in my wind quintet because all of our rehearsals, a lot of it was discussion, mm. which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. So like, um, at, at least like I felt like I had like at least a little bit of it, but like the rest of it was just rush, 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 rush. And mm. exactly like you say, most of what I'm doing now is self-taught, even us doing this podcast right now, like all the tech involved to do this, mm -hmm. you and I, right? Both of us had to completely self-teach for this type of thing. You don't have time to learn how to like set up OBS and stuff like that in school. So, yeah. Right? Yep. Um, I mean, not that I like regret it, right? Because I feel like my education was really good. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I wouldn't be where I am now without that. But I like if I'm going to critique my education, I would say that definitely missed out on a lot of key things. Mm. Um, and in particular, it was I really needed more discussion, I think. And I really needed to be educated on how to actually research what I'm doing. Um, There's just no time to do any yeah. of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think sucks. I just like searched up program notes that people wrote and just basically just took that and mm -hmm. reworded things for my own needs. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, we all did that. Because <laughs> um, in that time, too, when I was in school, um, Wikipedia was not really trusted either. Mm. So, um, you know, it's it's actually easier these days to kind of find out more about composers and stuff like that. And Wikipedia was not as like as immense as, as it is now. Like nowadays you can just go down insane Wikipedia rabbit holes, right? So mm -hmm. like um, it wasn't quite that immense back when I was in school. So, you know, like if you're going to do your research, it kind of had to, to be from the library. And I didn't know how to look things up 
in the library for this type of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think it was just, it's more the system, the education system. I think it, it just wasn't set up for discussion hmm. and for um, educating on how to research for performance. It just wasn't set up for it. So it's not really anyone's fault, per se. This is like a system breakdown, I would say. Mm-hmm. I just had the, my biggest gripe is just with history lessons, lectures. <laughs> <laughs> always, it just always comes up. <laughs> you can put this in because uh, I think I've talked about it before. Um, but <laughs> we, I would, I think it was like 75% of the class failed the first um test the first history quiz you know mm. you know how they go right a little bit of listening and then you know you have to write the composer and what and year their dates. it is oh my god yep the dates yep 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 and, and then you have had never to, like, remembered <laughs> no i never <laughs> remembered them either um so but it was like composer date and then the name of the piece and then um he gave us a few blank lines to uh write out what are the key um factors or what are the um you know the interesting parts to this particular piece why mm -hmm. is it significant etc right yeah um i got a 25 percent oh, no. on that exam <laughs> it's the lowest grade i've ever gotten in my entire life <laughs> and um i I mean, I looked at it and I was like, it's okay. I have like three other exams. If I ace those ones, you know, at least I won't fail this class, right? Like I, that's kind of how I saw it. <laughs> but um, he he wrote a scathing email to us all because so many people failed it. And he it, in it, he wrote, heaven help those who do not study for the next exam. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and like, it was just, so out of the blue that like you know the whole class got this email so the next day we all looked at each other and it just kind of turned into a meme like we all just like looked at each other and be like heaven help those who do not study oh <laughs> you <my> know? God. <laughs> like it we just had to laugh there was how else were you going to deal with it right so it yeah. just became a meme great um, <laughs> good on you guys <laughs> I I did end up passing the course. Do I remember anything from, from it? Almost nothing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I remember the key core concepts. Like I remember we were talking about modes and, you know, medieval whatever and Renaissance times and whatever. That list like, was I, really good looking, apparently. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, I feel you. Um, I did have an amazing history professor, though. Um, when I got into my master's. Mm, um, that's good. Th yeah, this guy was good. He he made it so that, because they were night courses because it's graduate, right? So, because most people work in the daytime, so they offered these classes at night. Mm. So we're all tired. <laughs> so this professor, but this professor loves history and he loves teaching. So his, his three-hour lectures were actually really fantastic. And there was always a break in the middle. So mm. we would all go for like late night coffee together um, as a class in between, like in the like 15, 20 minute break that we would take. But like, it was so great. He made, he was very inspirational. Like, I feel like music history really, really like your education in music history depends mm -hmm. so much 
on the passion of the professor. Yeah. It's insane. Like yeah. nothing against music history itself. That's really no. interesting. History is yeah. really interesting. And it's like, I mean, they're really, their stories, they're real life stories and such. Mm. But just the facet that we're told these stories and the way that we're taught makes it (laughs) yeah like it's so insane how dependent it is on who teaches it Mm -hmm. it's insane um i feel like it shouldn't have that much you know dependence on like a single person it's like essentially it's a single point of failure you know Mm. like it's terrible you know Um, it's unfortunate yeah it it is what it is though you know like um unfortunately certain schools are just known for you know certain you know disciplines Mm, um yeah usually it's based on the professor yeah (laughs) yeah i think during online school i was wondering how like, why am I so engaged in YouTube videos as opposed to these online lectures? <laughs> and so I was, like, trying to make it more fun for myself, sitting here staring at a Zoom thing forever. So, like, I just threw on some background music. It's, like, some chill, chill lo-fi music. Yep. So it yep. it kind of helped. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I was, like, if every prof, if, I mean, props to them during COVID times, they really they didn't really know anything about tech to begin with so like good job for adapting but yeah um yeah i was like if every prof was a twitch streamer or a youtuber like they would know how to use all this stuff they could use obs they can make it so engaging and so fun Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you know alas they're they're university professors who have not delved into these social platforms (laughs) Again, I think it has to do with how much time they have. True. Like I, <laughs> nobody I don't, has any time, <laughs> right? Like I feel like, you know, I really admire one of my professors who um, is my theory professor, and he noticed. I don't know how he noticed, but he noticed that I was doing some weird stuff online right (laughs) as in making my own website like my Mm -hmm. own professional website and making um videos you know which at the time were seen as absolutely insane and such a waste of time right Mm. like this was we're talking early 2010s you know or late 2000s and um he he saw it and was like I can see a future in this. Of course, everyone else thought he was insane, too, for (laughs) believing in me. But he would take me out for um, uh, numerous coffees, lunches uh, on campus, and specifically to talk to me about social media and content creation. Hmm. And it was wild, you know, to have a professor be so interested. Um, And... I now realize that that was actually a very risky move for him because, you know, to encourage a student to go down such a new path, right, that probably is like, you know, as you know, content creation, a lot of it is based on luck, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the algorithm, you're at the mercy of the algorithm, essentially, essentially. Mm-hmm. you know, like me landing my partnership with the Flute Center of New York, 100% 
thank the algorithm gods, you know? <laughs> like, they found me because, you know, they were just, like, watching videos of me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, like, it, um, you know, like, I recognize, and I think he also recognized that there is this kind of luck factor to content creation, but he wanted to know more about it, you know? And he wanted mm -hmm. to know, like, like, why am I interested in it? And what can it do for the future of classical music and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had those discussions and stuff like that, but he was the only one who like overtly supported me. Um, I would say that there were like a few other, a few other professors who like covertly supported me. Um, but I, I understand why, because it's very risky. You know, they don't, they don't really want to put a name on, you know, a student who is going down a path where like very few classical musicians have, well, at that point, no classical musician had, had, uh, traversed. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, I get it. I get why they were really careful. Um, and I, I think that my music theory professor is absolutely insane for <laughs> supporting me the way that he did. And I could not be more thankful. You know, Amazing. he really took... Yeah, he took a risk with me to openly support what I do. But it's so much of your education really is just like luck when it comes to like which professors do you end up with? Like yeah. it's it's crazy. How... Yeah. When you find the right one, they and who someone who supports you like that, it, yeah. it's it's amazing. <laughs> it is, you know, like and and I had this conversation with my Twitch chat too, which was that like I, I look back at my expectation of professors and I'm like, wow, I had unreasonably high expectations for my professors because to me, the only professor who really like in my mind did what a professor should do was that theory professor who openly supported me. Hmm. But I look back now and I realize he went way far and beyond what you normally would do as a professor like it's not fair for me to expect that of every professor you mm -hmm. know they have their own careers to worry about too you mm -hmm. know like the fact that he spent so much time and money because he knew i was a broke student so he would pay for these coffees Aww. and lunches yeah so like he spent literal time and money on me to encourage me to go forth with mm -hmm. this um and it, i look back now and i'm like oh <laughs> that was extra that mm -hmm. was completely bonus and i did absolutely nothing to deserve it it was him just believing in me that's so that's so sweet <laughs> yeah right like now i i look back and i'm like oh you know he was the one that's above and beyond everyone else was still fantastic <laughs> yeah. you know i think i like i kind of like in my mind rated my professors very harshly um, i heard raid <laughs> like raid. a twitch raid <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that's how you know we've been on twitch for too oh, long no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't think i mean like during when I was in school, I posted stuff on my Instagram, like my singing mm. and my songwriting stuff, mm -hmm. playing guitar, because mm -hmm. that was kind of my outlet for when yeah. I was, you know, getting really burnt out with flute practicing and whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but, understandable. Yeah. <laughs> but I was afraid of anybody seeing that stuff, like anybody like in school, in music school, teachers, friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I was particularly, like, in a similar fashion, I was particularly nervous about professors and faculty seeing my how-to stuff. Mm. Which I think that's why I didn't have the guts to make them until after I got out of school. Because then I, I felt like I would not have to see their faces and mm. be beholden to them. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be interrogated in the hallways and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I pretty much only did vlogs because I felt like vlogs were safe in that mm. I was just recording my experience. You can't argue with experience, <laughs> right? Like you can't yeah. say you said anything wrong from it, just sharing your experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like so... Like, I started safe in that manner. But yeah, I feel you. Like, it, it, oof, you know? Just, like, I was, like, afraid that teachers wouldn't take you seriously if they knew that you were doing yeah. something else. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. you're not practicing. <laughs> Except I, I am, but, you know, like, mm -hmm. what you see on the internet is kind of what people think. Like, that's what you you're doing all the time. Okay. Yep. I mean, now what I'm putting out there on the internet is what I'm pretty much doing all the time, but... Same. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny that it became what we do. Yeah. Um, I love but it. But yeah, <laughs> same for me, though. Like, it was an outlet for me. Like, because I was just so tired of this, like, really strict music school expectations. Um, like, you really only could either become a soloist or a like or an orchestral uh, flutist like that was it you know and or I was a band like, teacher <laughs> yeah or band teacher that's true yeah um it's just I was just like I like I, I don't want to be so restricted you know I feel that yeah <laughs> yeah and I feel like content creation allows you that freedom while still giving you almost sort of like a framework to like explore certain concepts you know mm. like yeah. i feel that right like you know now that i've framed my twitch sessions as like my twitch live streams as practice sessions right it has become this place where this safe place where i can explore without being held too accountable for like what I so-called teach because it's very obvious that I'm the one who's learning and mm. growing, right? Mm. So like, I feel like I can create my own framework to be, uh, to explore. Um, but I didn't feel that I could do that in music school. You know? Yeah. The framework is kind yeah. of given to you and you're like, you know, you have to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like, like in lessons and stuff, because I remember bringing this up maybe after graduating undergrad or like also during my master's with mm -hmm. my two different flute professors. And I was like two times where I kind of like broke down a little bit. And I was like, mm -hmm. I've just felt like it was like there were a lot of expectations and I couldn't reach them. But yeah. then like in undergrad, at least um, that time, like I talked to my teachers and it was like it's fine they didn't mm -hmm. actually have these expectations of like oh you have to become an orchestral musician or you have to become a soloist like that yeah. wasn't part of their plan or anything but I had put mm -hmm. that into my head somehow my own head Same. somehow <laughs> yeah yeah Same. and I mean obviously mm -hmm. like those are great jobs and 
they want to train you to be, be able good to, enough to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not opposed to getting an orchestral position. Or yeah. I mean, being a soloist, I I think that's that's a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. Um, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. 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 But like orchestra auditions and everything, I'm down for that. It's just also now though, I have like such a mental block for auditions. Just thinking about doing auditions or like prepping for them, and I'm like, I just there's there's something in my way. That yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> still trying yeah. to f- like change my mindset from that, those expectations yeah. and such. Oh yeah, I yeah. still fight those too. I would say that I'm kind of at a point now where I I care less now what people think. That's great. Um, <laughs> I I think the way that I think of it is the audition is not so much. It's not so much them judging me. As much as I'm saying, this is what I can do, does it fit with your group? Mm -hmm. And that's a very different mindset to be in because I'm essentially flipping the power dynamic of an audition. And Mm -hmm. the first time I experienced this was a bit of an accident. Um, It was for my master's audition that I did successfully get into because there was one master's audition that I completely and utterly failed. Oh, I have it. I've same. <laughs> There's one, at least one. <laughs> There's at least one, right? So mm-hmm. like um that one it was so bad. I was like playing completely out of tune, could not get back in tune. Um Yep. <laughs> oh, so bad, you know. Like it, it's the type of audition where like the two like flute professors that were on the panel, like they literally were like you know, oh, like, no. like, you know, sitting there with that face where you know you failed, you know, because they're just cringing through the entire thing. <laughs> um, and oh, that was so rough. But I think what ended up happening to me after that horrible audition was I was like, oh, I am not dead. <laughs> I can continue with my life. In fact, I ended up taking a gap year after that to just teach full time. And I was like, I'm making money. I am, you know, things are good. Things are good, even though I like failed this masses audition so badly, like I'm still successful. So it made me realize that it's not your end all be all. And Mm. so when I did my next master's audition, I didn't take it seriously at all. I just waltzed in there. And um, I actually waltzed in there with my 2B flute professor who ended up being just such an angel to me because she she absolutely changed my life. But um, I walked in, she walked me into the audition like with her because she actually offered to do a quick little like run through lesson, little like Mm. kind of like a pep pep talk lesson type of thing before the audition which I'm like who which kind of like flute professor does this you know (laughs) so she was actually like actively trying to help me calm down and stuff like before and she's just so sweet and so she walked me into the audition and uh I don't know why I don't know why I did this like I, I still I look back and I'm still like where did I get the balls to do this but <laughs> i had i had business cards on me Ooh. <laughs> and i decided to pull this insane power move 
where I went in and I shook all their hands. You don't do this in audition, by the way, for anyone <laughs> listening. You don't do this in an audition. You usually just walk in very meekly and just like play your stuff and then meekly walk out, right? <laughs> no, I waltzed in and like shook all their hands and I was like, I'm Joanna. Here's my business card. And I realize now that that was such an insane power move. Like <laughs> it, it flipped it. It flipped the power dynamic completely because it made me in charge of the room. And I was like, this is me. If you don't like me, that's your problem, mm. not mine. And um, so wow. I, I rocked that audition. It was a great audition. Essentially, they accepted me on the spot. Um, but it was an audition that I actually didn't really care about hmm. because I went in there thinking, well, I'm meeting all these people, might as well network, mm -hmm. you know? Um, just so you guys know, maybe don't do that at an audition. <laughs> like that is an insane power move. Um, yeah. Like I'm looking back and I'm like, I still don't know where I got the balls to do that. But mm -hmm. like, um, I I'm think like that's- Imagining that for an orchestral audition, like yeah. even that's that'd be even worse. <laughs> yeah, it'd be even worse than exactly because there is an existing power dynamic in in orchestras, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like it's conductor and then uh, principal chairs and then the rest of the section, right? There's this like very clear hierarchy of how things work, and so you know if you were to pull a power like a power move like that they, they would feel like you would be like insubordinate right yeah. so they would not want you to be part of the group because they'll be like this person will just bypass all the like hierarchical positions you know if they wanted to ask a question instead of asking their um their principal chair they would just go straight to the conductor which is seen as a very disrespectful thing as you know um to your principal chair right mm. so like don't pull that power move in yeah. <laughs> an orchestral audition but like i think i really just didn't care about this audition and i was like you know i failed one before what's another one you know is that where you ended up going to school <laughs> yep it was san francisco state um and uh the the teacher there um linda lucas um I found out that I'd been watching her since I was a kid because I actually grew up in the Bay Area and my family would take us to uh, see the San Francisco Symphony. And she had been there this whole time. Like Aww. I had apparently been watching her since I was a little girl. So she is a godsend though. Like she was the one who like looked me straight in the eye one lesson and was like, where do you want to be in five years? Like she's like, you know, forget what everyone else thinks. Like, just forget it. Forget forget the, like, you know, orchestral thing or whatever. What do you want to do? And I was like, well, like, I want to teach a lot because I'm very passionate about teaching. So I want teaching to be my main job. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know about orchestra. I find orchestral auditions very, very um, stressful. And I don't feel that orchestral auditions actually represent how I actually play. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm like, and that's not even my passion anyway. So why, why make that my main job? And, and then I was like, and I also want to do content creation. Like I love doing this stuff. So like, that's what I want to do. I want my main income to be 
teaching and then I want on the side content creation and then maybe playing in like a community group or something like that just to fill that orchestra shaped hole in my heart you know mm-hmm. but like that's it and she, and she looked at me and she was like do it it'll make <laughs> you happy because she Aww. was like she told me yeah she just she was like in the end in the end it's only you that matters and what you think and how you feel like don't make your career based on what other what you think other people want out of you because in the end you ha- you only have yourself mm-hmm. so you really need to do something that will make you feel fulfilled and screw what everyone else thinks yeah to have a professor like especially a flute professor just kind of like say that straight to me like it was so powerful because it it like it gave me the permission to do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Similar thing happened in my, that, se- I feel like I have to have a breakdown session with my flute teachers at least once. <laughs> like yeah. I had it once in my grade 12 year doing prepping for oh. university auditions. Oh. And then I had it in my fourth year undergrad prepping for master's auditions. Mm-hmm. And then my last year of master's, I, that happened again. No auditions, yeah. but you know, it's real something. life is coming afterwards. I suppose, basically. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And my teacher was like, "You shouldn't ever do what you think you should," which yep. doesn't really make sense in a way. But like, it's yeah, like but, the expectations yeah, of it. other people, like what you think other people think you should be doing. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. yeah, yeah. Do what you want to do, because I completely get it. Yeah. Yeah. You're in charge of your own life. Nobody else is living it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so glad that we both had that talk. um, Mm -hmm. Because, wow, what a powerful talk that was. Like, the second flutist of the San Francisco Symphony literally told me I could do whatever I wanted, you know? Like, (laughs) it's like, okay. (laughs) Like... All, you know, it made me really think about what I like to do and what I, what fulfills me, what mm-hmm. I'm passionate about, you know, like it really made me consider that. And I'm so glad that I really considered that back then, you know, because otherwise I feel like I would have pursued something that really is not for me. Yeah. yeah. It's really validating to hear that from like a mentor. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just that permission to be yourself is really really powerful Mm -hmm. yeah what about your parents what did they think about all this (laughs) i had a very unusual upbringing when it came to music it was very unusual because my mom uh she did abrsm which is a um one of those like extracurricular uh, music programs um and the ABRSM one is based out of the UK. And she, uh, but it's, you know, you can take it all over the world. And so she did that one when she was young, up until grade eight. And so she, you know, pretty high level of playing. Um, and she's always like played the piano for church and stuff like that. Um, and because, uh, you know, my dad was a pastor. So, you know, they call oh, it perfect two for one you know like because they didn't pay my mom they really should have but they mm. didn't pay my mom and so you know i heard piano music all the time around the house and um 
And then I'm the younger of two. So my brother is a few years older than me. And so he started playing, um, started taking piano lessons earlier. So like I was just kind of surrounded by music all the time. Mm -hmm. So me taking piano lessons was really just because I want to be just like my brother. Um, I absolutely idolized him. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, I thought he was the coolest person in the world. So I was like, yeah, of course I want to learn the piano, right? So I I can't say the same for my brother, but I did take the flute from him pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah, so. But my brother's great. I don't don't know if I idolize him, but he's great. (laughs) I love that. That's so cute. Oh. But yeah, so like, you know, I've been, I've had music around and then my, my dad would always um, share stories of when he was in his high school band, marching band and stuff like that. And he, he had all these really funny stories of, you know, his friend accidentally sitting on a sousaphone. So they had to march around with a flattened sousaphone, you know, like, yeah, like he, he shared these like hilarious stories. So like he always made music seem to be something that it's really fun to get into it like it's not it, it's not a chore you know like mm-hmm. it's a place where you can meet new friends and have a lot of fun and you know so I always grew up with music being this really positive thing um and then and my dad had a complete vocational change in um in his midlife so he essentially like went back to school and everything to completely change course with his job to something that he actually wanted to do when he was young. But when he was young, his parents just wanted him to be an engineer. So he did that, but then he realized in his midlife crisis that he didn't want to keep doing that. So Mm -hmm. I think what it was, like looking back, I think what it was was that he was looking at my brother and me and he was like, I want you guys to do like make a career from what you like, whatever that is, you know? And because he was the one who had parents basically tell him what to do and then he couldn't do what he wanted to do until he was like in his 40s, basically. And he was like, I don't want that for my kids. So I don't care how crazy or impractical of a job that they want, I'm gonna make sure that they're going to just make a career out of whatever they want. So that's why like, I'm very lucky to have parents who were insanely supportive of me going into music school. In fact, they kind of knew that I should go to music school before I did because Mm -hmm. I I originally wanted to go into art school, but I had taken um, IB art um, in high school and it kind of scared me out of the art world because like the artists that I was um, like studying, they're just like a little out there for me, <laughs> like just a little bit too much. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't really know if I can sustain this like, kind of lifestyle for forever, you know, mm. like um and so I was kind of at a loss, like in my grade 12 year, I was like, I don't know what to do for school and so my parents was like what about music school and I was like oh no but you have to like rehearse all the time and have to practice all the time like I don't want to do that and then so they're like okay okay we're gonna like sit down and write out a list of the pros and cons of going to music school and the pros absolutely outweighed the cons Mm -hmm. like 
that that list was insanely long for the pros versus like the cons were literally like I'm gonna be very busy and I have to practice that literally was like <laughs> the only two things on the con side uh -huh. but everything else was like you know I get to meet new people I get to play cool music you know I can like you know receive like really like high level training on the flute you know I already have like you know a pretty good flute so might as well keep getting some good training if this is what I like to do blah 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 right so like that list was insanely long and also it was like well because I was already starting to teach the flute when I was in grade 12 so like it was like well this is like added credential you can create your you know I can start to create my own studio and blah 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 and start to make money off of this etc so like that list was insanely long and essentially my parents convinced me to go to music school but I think it really is because my a lot of it is because my dad had his midlife crisis I think and he was like, I don't want my kids to have a midlife crisis. Like, I mm -hmm. want my kids to, like, have longevity in their career. Yeah. Because I I suspect that he probably thinks of his career as he only got half of it, essentially. Because he had to start when he was 40. And he would rather us have, like, a full, long career from in our 20s to when we retire, you know? Um I think that's what he wanted for us. And that's why he was like the insane Asian dad convincing his daughter to go to music school. And then with like all the YouTube online stuff, right? Same thing. They, yeah. uh, it was intervention style. My entire family sat me down and was like, Joe, you like to talk a lot. And you've been showing us these really funny videos on YouTube. You want to make YouTube videos, right? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> why would you let me do this, let alone try and convince me to do it? Because, mm -hmm. like, I wanted to, but, like, I, you know, I was pastor's daughter and everything. So, like, it definitely was something that I thought that they would not want me to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm supposed to be this, like, pure pastor's daughter, you know? Yeah not some like internet degenerate right so like <laughs> a streamer right that? <laughs> yeah so like essentially me going into music school and me getting into content creation involved family intervention mm. <laughs> to make me do both of them it's interesting yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird. Like, I look back at my life and I realize that that is very strange because uh -huh. most people have the exact opposite, which is that they had they had to convince their family mm -hmm. to let them go into music or they had to convince their family to let them go into content creation. For me, it wasn't really... I feel like it's an in-between of the two. <laughs> like, mm -mm. because my mom's a musician and so, mm. like... I was also surrounded by music growing up and it seemed like a very natural route to go into music. I wanted yeah. to go into architecture, but realized <gasps> I was terrible at math. <laughs> so like that probably isn't ideal. <laughs> got it. Got um, it. But I didn't really know what like music school entailed because my mom studied mm. in Taiwan and like that, that mm. scene is different from North America. Yes. So, I do hear that that scene is very different. Yeah. And yeah. so like I had no idea what to expect, but... I loved band. I was taking private lessons on flute and I was having the most fun with music. And so that seemed the most logical. Right. Because, you know, 
math sucks and there are no other (laughs) (laughs) good options and so music is something i like to do it Mm -hmm. it, like it makes sense now looking back like of course yeah 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 yeah. and then the twitch stuff kind of just it just kind of happened and Mm -hmm. it's like oh you can make money from this yeah there are people watching and Mm -hmm. you know it's not terrible Mm -hmm. so why not continue it yeah it's a great little community and you know it's like gigging but But, at home yeah (laughs) it's great i'm a little worried though that like i probably should do some actual gigs in real life in person but i'm so comfortable in this studio space that like like i don't want to leave this shell (laughs) but i should at some point yeah what is really really funny is that like I'm very conscious that I know what it's like to make this room sound good. So I have the same concern. I'm like, you know, when when COVID is even more calm, like I do want to like put Mm -hmm. on a little like local recital just to help me like retrain my like live performance. Like mm-hmm. skills because yeah. you're working with acoustics too right you're playing the room so like i essentially only know how to play this room right now i only know how to ha- add reverb to my <laughs> recording for this room <laughs> yeah yeah it's really no. dead in here so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. like i on purpose have not like you know um put up Treat- like sound, sound soaking things yeah because as you know, like flute playing, a lot of the charm from the flute comes from the the, the natural reverb yeah. of the room. Yeah, that resonance. But so if you're playing in a very dead room, you lose a lot of the natural charm of the flute. Um, and that's why boring. I think a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very one note, very boring, very mm-hmm. one color. So like, um, so I think that like I actually wonder if some people hate the flute because they haven't experienced that mm. lovely resonance that can happen in like a concert hall or something like that right um mm-hmm. so like i get it i get why people would hate the flute like it's like if you haven't had the chance to hear it live which you know actually if you think about it not actually that many people have the chance to hear a flute live mm-hmm. um so True. like i totally get why people would normally hate the sound of a flute because it is kind of one note you know we're very, very bad high, at dynamics high very pitched. high exactly <laughs> you know like um so like i i get it you know um but like i totally feel you that i'm like i really need to like relearn how to play other venues because i don't goodness. know what it's like to perform in real life anymore <laughs> but you know what's funny is that we have because we're so used to doing this on camera and we can work the camera really well now. Like, it's almost (laughs) like second nature now for us to work the camera, Um, which like, I think that puts other people, like most other live um, performers, the concept of a camera being this close to you and just pointed at you all the time, (laughs) it's very disconcerting to them. And they're just so, they can't let go. Right. Whereas I think we've had almost too much practice. Like just whatever. It's just there. Go. It's just what, there yeah. Now. Exactly. Like it's just there now. Like mm-hmm. I don't think we even think twice about it anymore. Um, yeah. So like 
we can work a camera and we can work the setup um but you know also just like talking i feel so much more comfortable talking now yeah because same twitch chat and you know i mean i'm still Mm -hmm. awkward sometimes i feel i'm still awkward but well i think people (laughs) love the awkward that's what I've realized. I've started to dig into my awkward because I, yeah. I noticed that people really like it. Like they, they I think they relate, you mm. know? Yeah. 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 So like, I think I would know how to, I would feel comfortable now in front of an audience as opposed to mm-hmm. prior to Twitch and all of this online stuff where yeah. I just, you know, <laughs> doing performance seminar and like we had to practice walking on stage. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and then and we had to introduce ourselves, talk about the program tonight and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. pretend it's a recital that's happening. Also mm-hmm. like we didn't even do this on our actual recitals. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's just terrible. Everybody it was just so awkward <laughs> or it was just I don't know. But yeah, we like practice walking on stage. I had no yeah. idea how to bow. oh my goodness yeah we had to be taught how to bow Mm -hmm. yeah yeah the whole like look down don't look at the audience because and you gotta hold it or like take bigger steps when you walk on stage be quick but not too fast (laughs) yeah because you don't want to look like you're running either Mm -hmm. but you don't want to take your time because then people will stop clapping and you're not there yet and it's really awkward (laughs) yep yep Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, and the whole like <laughs> how you hold your shoulders too. Oh, I, I was all came also flooding back to me. <laughs> yeah, all of it. I I think we did that for for our quintet because we had to come on in such a way that we knew exactly where to right. stand next to our seats before we take our bow. And so if you didn't know what you were doing, then you'd be kind of like shuffling, shuffling, <laughs> shuffling, shuffling, and then uh, looking at each other. And then yeah. by then, like the clapping is done and yeah. you're like kind of awkwardly bowing, you know, also, like, just like absolute silence. <laughs> music on the stand first or bow first. Like you have to decide that as a group. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Like do you mm-hmm. pre, pre-set up where all of the music is already on the sand, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, wow. Who bows oh, first? Oh man, all of that is flooding back to me now too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good time. <laughs> Good time. You oh, know God. what's funny is um, we didn't have that whole like practicing talking in front of people thing mm-hmm. um, until my fourth year at my school because it was my fault. Why? What happened? <laughs> so, you know, like I was a content creator even then, but it was just live basically, right? So, like, I knew that, especially for my third year recital, I was playing some really weird music. You know, I love weird music. So um, I was like, okay, if I'm playing this really weird music, I need to talk to my audience using layman's terms and just colloquialisms and just, you know, like casual talk basically to explain what they should listen for and what it represents and why is it significant blah, 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 right? Like, I knew that I had to say that. Otherwise, my poor friends from church who have no prior context for what flute music should sound like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're literally coming into the blind. Like, I even (laughs) had, like, high school friends who, like, hardly ever heard me even play the flute. So I was like, okay, like, we're getting people coming into this, like, completely blind to classical music. So I was like, okay, 
I need to stand here and tell them what to listen for, right? So I did that, but it was all casual talk and it's all improv, you know, mm -hmm. like like a Twitch stream, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, and before that, I was already kind of the, the, the speaker for my wind quintet because um, we would do these like, you know, old folks homes tours and, you know, you got to engage them and talk to them and stuff like that. So I became the person in our group who would talk about pieces and like make a connection with the audience. So I was the talker. We would also do annual um, recitals that were completely non-degree related. We just did it for fun. Nice. <laughs> and um, I, again, I was the talker. So I, I forget which annual recital this was for our wind quintet, but I did the talking. It was all casual talk. And our coach, he, he, he kind of like chided me in a coaching session afterwards saying like, you know, you really should be more respectful and you not use colloquialisms and not use casual talk to oh. speak about classical music. And I didn't agree with him because I knew my audience. Like I knew that I was bringing people in who were like, would never listen to classical music normally, right? Mm -hmm. So like you can't use proper speak with them because they're not gonna understand any of these classical terms, right? Like you have to use layman's terms. So I didn't agree with him, but um, I didn't realize that it could, it showed on my face. And like, he called me out in front of the entire wind quintet and he was like, Joanna, why are you giving me a death glare? God. And uh, I still didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say because I just didn't agree with him, but I respected uh -huh. him. So I didn't want to like talk back to him either. Like I genuinely respected him, but I just in this particular case did not agree with him. Mm. Uh, and then by the next year, he changed his mind and he was like, you know, Joanna, it does work like the way you talk to people because he could see how the people like the audience would come up to us you know during the reception after the recital and they'd be like oh joanna thank you so much for like talking about this like it would made the made the um the whole experience so interesting like i could hear all of the things that you were talking about and i think he overheard it and so he just straight up told me he's like i changed my mind <laughs> like I, I defer to how how you think of it. And I was I was like very taken aback by this because I wasn't expecting it at all. You know, I was mm -hmm. one of those things where I was like, it's OK, I can agree to disagree. It's whatever. Right. You know, and um, so I was very, very surprised when he just came right back around the next year and was like, I changed my mind. I like the way you do it. Wow. And then it kind of went overboard. After that point. It became a requirement for <laughs> everyone. Oh. to learn how to speak about their pieces to the audience. And I was just like, no, no. <laughs> like I, I only wanted my right to mm. be able to speak in front of an audience. Like I, I just wanted the right to do that. I, I did not mean for this to become a requirement for everyone to have to learn how to do this. And it definitely, oh, no. and like they made it, they made a whole like announcement. They were like, all right, starting this year, Anytime you do like a divisional recital, which is like you can sign up for these like, you know, for these like midweek recitals where you just play mm -hmm. a random etude or something for everyone. They're called divisional recitals. I don't know if they were called that in your music we, school. We called them noon hour recitals. 
yeah they were noon hour yeah so <laughs> like exactly so um um we you know like for those and then for your own like you know junior recital senior recital you have to now talk about your pieces in between oh, it, i was just like no like i didn't hear about this until they like made the, they like fault. gathered everyone together and made this announcement and then at the end of it they tacked on and if you don't know how to do it ask joanna <laughs> Oh no. I mean, like, I get it. I get that they were very excited about this. They're like, this is a new direction. We're going to like train our musicians to like be able to connect with their audience. Well, it's gonna be great, you know? But it like was accidentally framed as my fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody wants and to I talk. <laughs> No. I was the weirdo <laughs> like and I understand that I was the weirdo like and I was fine being the weirdo I just wanted the right to be a weirdo like I just wanted the okay for me to be me like that's all I wanted I did not want to impose this on everyone mm -hmm. else <laughs> but you know it's not my school to run <laughs> So I kind of wash my hands of it. Oh, man. <laughs> all the kids now who are studying and who have to speak, they're all like, oh, this darn Joanna. Since from <laughs> then on, they had to, because my mom loved going to those noon hour recitals. She would actually just like go it's with her happening. friends to just, yeah, it's still, it's still happening now. She's like, Joe, they're still talking about their like music. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, it is nice, though, to as an audience member to hear about the music and to like to know yeah. what's happening to what to expect oh, yeah. and such. So, yeah, like, that's great. <laughs> it's great for the audience. But I like I feel so sorry for like for the performers who don't want to do it, because I do think that it is fully valid to have an experience of classical music where there is no talking. Like, I think that's completely valid. And I think it's a wonderful experience as well. Like you can have great program notes instead, or you can have like a slideshow going or something like that, right? Like it doesn't have to be spoken. Like it can be just as engaging, right? Yeah. But, oops. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> oh man. I mean, like if anyone from UBC Okay, University of British Columbia. If anyone from UBC is listening to this and you have to speak before your stuff, I'm sorry. I know quite a few people who either went to UBC or are there now. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Oh, I, I am sorry. I did not mean for this to happen. It's amazing. <laughs> what are your thoughts on like classical music concerts? The format of classical music concerts. Of how... Oh. You kind of have to go and sit and be silent and kind of just like pretend you're not asleep <laughs> <laughs> and I no clapping it, in between movements. Right. The no <laughs> clapping in between movements. I think it's like I think it depends on the piece and it depends on, again, the audience. Right. Like I feel like if you know that your audience 
may not be fully aware that in between movements you don't clap because you're trying to keep that silence that tension of the silence and then releasing it when the music starts like i think you have to explain it like i i think you have to like at the beginning of you know the concert have someone come up be go on stage and be like um you know uh we just want to explain how we would love for you to respond to um to our music and you know just explain that you know we would ask that you guys don't clap between movements where like and then you can point on the program like okay so mm -hmm. you see this piece and you'll see that there's listed like one two three four on it you know sub points basically like those are movements and we would like to preserve the silence between them so that we can create tension right and we can create this feeling of like you're still thinking about what just happened right mm -hmm. like make it very introspective but you have to be very explicit about it like you have to actually tell the audience why the silence is important right mm -hmm. i feel like if you don't tell the audience why the silence is important and why it's part of the art then people are going to be like you know one they'll be confused and two <laughs> Um, they're going to think that everyone's just super snobby, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> but they won't truly be in the present moment enjoying that art form, mm. you know? Mm. But on the other hand, like sometimes there are some movements that are just so well done that you, you got to clap, yeah. you know? So like, I feel like you can also, if you decide to put on, a concert where clapping between movements would be great, right? You can also say that at the beginning. But I think at the bottom of it, what I think is that you can have any format you want for classical music. It can be as, quote, snobby or as layman as, pos as you want. But you have to communicate that intention at the beginning. Mm. It's if you don't communicate the intention in the beginning, that's where you run into trouble. Because then, like, if everyone is on the same page, right, then everyone can enjoy it together without some people in the audience getting mad at other people in the <laughs> audience. And then those people in the audience have no idea what they did wrong. And then they mm. feel like the country bumpkin. And then, like, you know what I mean? Like, it just creates this very elitist, like, unnecessary elitist feel yes. when really the point of the concert is to create art and to share that art and for the, your audience to like share in that very present experience, right? Yeah. But I feel like you have to have good communication beforehand. Like yeah. you have to make sure you lay out your cards, make sure, make sure that everyone is on the same page, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, yeah. good insights. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so I guess we have some Patreon questions. Taylor, if you remember Taylor, she is in your Twitch stream sometimes. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, she asks, do you prefer making content on YouTube or Twitch? Have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you deal with that? Oof. Oof. Um, I like both for different reasons. And I would say it's pretty equal. Um, so those reasons are, is that on Twitch, I can very much be unapologetically myself. Like, nothing to hide. I come on and it's not a show. Like, this is literally just me being me, 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, I love that because it has allowed me to learn to love myself. Um, on YouTube, I really like editing. Like, I, I like making things funny, you know? And I'm very proud of the videos that I make that make me laugh, you know? <laughs> so like, those are my different reasons. In terms of imposter syndrome, yes. I mean, like, especially for flute, um, imposter syndrome is really bad. And I would say that it's very much minimized now, but it's because I, I practice on Twitch. So like, there's always this voice in my head that's like, oh, oh no, like when are they gonna find out that you like actually can't play the flute that well? You know, like when are they gonna find out you're a fraud? And then now, but now I have an answer. It's like, well, they can watch my VODs and just figure that out for themselves. That is not my problem anymore. Like I'm literally not hiding anything. Hmm. Um, so it's been three years of that, of putting all of my practice sessions on Twitch. And I think just doing that often enough has made me realize that, you know, I don't have to hide anything. Do I recommend this way of people for people to deal with their imposter syndrome? I don't think it's for everyone. <laughs> uh, this is a very, I think, extreme way of doing it. But it has helped me because I have an answer now to that mm. question, which is like, when are they going to find out that you can't play the flute? It's like, well, they already know. <laughs> and I'm fine. <laughs> you know. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The YouTube funny edit thing. My mm -hmm. mom saw your videos when I was in like junior high or something. <laughs> like just starting off lessons on the right. flute. My mom <laughs> is the one who like found you on YouTube really? and showed you to me. Yeah. <laughs> Please say hi to her for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she remembers yep that moment, that part of life, but like that happened. And I was like, this is a very full circle thing for me this right now. This is a very full circle moment right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, I was just oh, starting off on flute wild. back then, watching you. Wow, <laughs> wow, oh right? my God. I know, it's that crazy. That is insane, <laughs> oh. Yep. That makes me really happy though, because <laughs> I feel like like for me, like what I really want my content to yield, right, is a space where flutists can feel like they can just relax and not worry about competition, yeah. not worry about what other people think. It's just a place to be a nerd, <laughs> you know, a wholesome, unapologetic nerd about the flute. like. Mm -hmm. And I want it to be a positive thing to not know something about the flute and to learn about it, right? And that's what I really want my community to be. And so, I mean, seeing you go through like bachelor's, master's, and then coming out and, you know, doing all this stuff like <laughs> on Twitch and stuff like, and knowing that like my videos was at like at the beginning of that journey yeah. too, I think is crazy. <laughs> That's pretty wild, man. right? Yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about learning, uh, what you just said about learning flute and like it being a safe space, it's okay yeah. to not know things about it. I yeah. feel like, I mean, I guess in general, because like, mm -hmm. I start, I started learning German recently, and like I and I learned French too, and like 
I am so embarrassed about not knowing the language when I'm learning. But like that's、mm-hmm. natural. That's how it is. You're that's the whole point、yeah. of learning. That's why you're learning. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're learning because you don't know it, and it should、yeah. be celebrated. You know, like it should not be a shameful thing. But like we like, should be excited that we don't know、yeah. about it, and now we're learning about it. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of strange though how. Know, yeah, just like feel embarrassed right? Like about we've not built knowing. Up, yeah, right. Like, why do we do that? So, like, that's why I've been very, like, conscious about like creating that safe space and modeling that too. Because、mm. when I see something in the chat that I haven't heard about, I choose to be excited about it, right?、Mm-hmm. Rather than be like, oh no. <laughs> I don't know that, or like I haven't heard of that, right? Yeah. And I, I feel like if I model this kind of like excitement to learn, then it'll give permission to other people to also just be wholesomely nerdy about it, you know?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be ideal to have that kind of outlook. <laughs> yeah. yeah.、Um, Taylor also asked, "What's your favorite flute piece to play and or listen to?" Ooh. Uh. Hmm. To play,、um, that's hard because there's a lot that I like.、Um, I think I tend to like things that have a bit of like a, like a Chinese influence on it.、Mm-hmm. So my favorite like big flute repertoire、um, is、uh, the Golden Flute Concerto by Chen Yi, and、uh, Chinese American composer. And、um, I performed it for my third year recital, and I definitely think that in terms of my bachelor's, I peaked in my third year. Oh, same. My fourth year, <laughs> yeah. My fourth year recital was not as good as my third year. Same. And,、um, right? Yeah, it's kind of weird, right? It's almost like we kind of lose steam by the end. Senioritis. <laughs> I think so.、Um, so, like, it, you like know, masters、um, auditions. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Other、yeah. things to think about, I guess. Too many things to think about in your last years, because I think in your third year is when you're just like living it up, you know. Yeah.、Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, like that would be my favorite one because it allowed me to sort of explore,、um, almost like a heritage sound.、Mm-hmm. I would say, like for me, and、um, I really like that. And I guess, like in terms of listening, though,、um, flute repertoire—it's really kind of weird. But I don't actually listen to a lot of flute repertoire、um, on my own, partly、mm-hmm. because it just reminds me of work,、mm-hmm. and I can't really turn off my work brain when I listen to it. It's not that I don't love it; I love it,、um, but it's it's work for me. But I have found that if I listen to video game music、mm-hmm. with <laughs> the flute in it, I can still relax, but also still like bask in amazing flute playing. You、mm-hmm. know. So like you know, Octopath Traveler has amazing flute stuff in it.、Um, Genshin Impact has amazing flute stuff. Final Fantasy, of course, has amazing flute music. Right now, I'm playing Nino Kuni, the original one,、uh, the version that's that been. <laughs> oh, you know Hayao Miyazaki, like、mm-hmm. the Miyazaki films, like Totoro. So、um, it is. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki art style,、Ooh. and actually, it is a Studio Ghibli.、Uh, they it, Studio Ghibli actually worked on this game, 
uh, combined with Level 5, uh, the company who did, I believe they did Professor Layton. Um, but really good storytelling. And then combined with the uh, with Studio Ghibli, and the composer is the composer who composes music for the Hayao Miyazaki films, uh, Joe Hisashi. Whoa. <laughs> it is like star cast. All, um, all the art. <laughs> combined yeah. together. Yeah. Wow. And like, oh my God, the music is so good. It's like fully orchestrated. Like the world music, the world map music is just like fully orchestrated. Just to die for. It's just, it's so good. Gotta listen but, to this. <laughs> yeah, get, yeah, definitely get on the Nino Kuni bandwagon. I think it came out in, it was released in the States in like 2013 or something like that. Um, mm. So, okay. released for PS3, but it is, you can now get it on the Switch. So, I'm playing it on the Switch right now. Okay. It's cool. so, so good. Yeah. And the music <laughs> is, oh, it's so good. We love good um, music in video games. Mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> to die for. Like in Genshin Impact, I would like just walk around listening to the music. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I like. That's what I listen to for fun. Is I would say video game music. Mm. Good answer. You know? <laughs> um, Fong asks, "What aspect of teaching flute is so interesting?" Uh, there's a lot that's interesting. But I would say is learning about other experiences of playing the flute. Mm. So if not for flute teaching, I would not know what it's like to play the flute with large hands, for example. (laughs) You know, jaw things as well. Um, People play differently if they have more of an underbite versus not. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I wouldn't have learned that. I wouldn't have learned about the different ways in which people process music. So uh, I am primarily, like I primarily process music pretty automatically, visually, like I'll look at a piece of music and I'm just playing it, you know? Like it, it's, it's, it's an automatic processing. Um, and then like, if I want it to be like even more in my memory, like as long as I do it in a tactile manner, I think that's why I like playing the flute is because it is so tactile. Um, uh, then like that, those are my main ways of processing music is through visual means and through tactile means. I feel um, like playing but I, a string instrument would be more tactile. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Because I, I, you would feel, you would literally feel the vibrations like yeah. all the way through. And that's actually why I really enjoy, I'm pointing here because my flute is literally sitting here. <laughs> um, but, um, I got these little, um, like finger rests that are made from wood. And what I discovered that they do is they transfer the vibrations of the instrument to my finger. Um, And I love it because I can feel what, like I can feel the resonance of the flute now. And I need those finger rests because I have such small hands. (laughs) Um, My previous finger rests were like made from plastic and rubber. And so they kind of like, they sort of deadened the vibrations, Mm -hmm. Um, but they served me very well. They, you know, I built my career on them. Um, they allowed me to play the flute really, really well, but you know, I kind of upgraded to these ones. And um, you know, I'm very tactile in that manner that like I can actually play with better tone now because of because I can feel what I'm doing more. But you know, not everyone's like that. Like my my and for me, my my oral processing is really bad. Like um, 
I, I, I cannot do dictation to save my life, basically. <laughs> um, but, you know, learning that other people process music orally automatically but to me it's magic like I, I don't know how people do that you know how people can like listen to a piece of music and just like play it you know and mm -hmm. I'm just like how 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 you know and there is no how it's just mm -hmm. automatic to them like in the way same way that for me sight reading is automatic like there's mm -hmm. no how to it you know and learning that different people process music differently and learning how to teach someone to recognize that and to play to their strengths and then like learn a piece of music in their strong like form of learning and then bolstering it with their weak form of learning like i would not have learned that if i didn't teach it's super um, interesting <laughs> yeah it's really really interesting it's interesting to discuss this too because i am in a unique position where i mostly teach adults and so we can have these kinds of conversations without them falling asleep. Because, you know, I don't think kids really care about this kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. like, I get to have these conversations with adults that I normally would never have. And it, it really has opened my, my eyes to just how unique everyone is in how they process music. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, DJ asked, what's a funniest memory from teaching? <laughs> funniest memory? Hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Early on. Um, it's funny after the fact, but early, early on, um, this was my first student. I was 17 years old. I had no idea what I was doing. And my little student walks in and she goes, um, so my baby sister grabbed my flute and threw it in the sandbox. And I'm already like, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, wait, uh, what, right? And she's like, yeah, but don't worry. My mom washed it in the kitchen sink. I knew that was coming. Oh, no. And I was like, no. Oh, my God. Um, I'm not sure if, if her mom used soap. Um, but anyway, I mean, every pad is drenched. Um, which for those of you who don't know, you do not want to drench the flute pads and also likely they probably drench the cork too in the head joint. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that when they dry out, they shrink even more. It's kind of like a sponge, like a dish sponge where like, you know, you wet it, like when you first get it, it's nice and spongy, right? And then you use it and then it dries out and it shrinks. Right. And our, our pads and the cork basically do that um, and they become brittle and they tear and they mm -hmm. rip off, basically. The pads, um, by the way, are like right under the keys, right? Yes. Yes. Right under the keys. Well, for, <laughs> for anyone who's watching this, um, you know, if you flip a flute around, you can kind of see that the little like white white slash yellow little pads under there, under the keys. And they uh, they are there to seal the hole properly, um, the tone hole. Um, so yeah, you don't want to get those drenched. Um, it's not a good thing because it, it you know, it's just going to shrink like a sponge and tear and become brittle. Um, and, uh, so anyway, uh, I was like, oh honey. So, um, <laughs> I, 
it just felt like a nightmare happening in real life. Now, I did get them to get it fixed. I recommended that they go to like a flute specialist to get it fixed, but um, they didn't want to pay the like multi-hundred dollars that it would take to fix something like that. I don't know which bootleg shop they went to, but they got it fixed for 50 bucks. And it played. Like in later lessons, it definitely played. So I didn't know what else to say. Um, that was when I found out that you have to have a sit down conversation at the beginning of like the first lesson with a brand new student. You have to have a sit down conversation where you're like, this is how you care for the flute. This is how you swab it out. Do not do more than this. Do not wash it. Uh, you know, do not like there are a lot of things that I just took for granted about mm. caring for a flute at that point that like that was a steep learning curve for me to learn that you had to have these conversations with new flutists. Mm -hmm. But yeah, wow, that by <laughs> far is probably the funniest one. Oof. Like DJ also asked, what have you found to be the most beneficial piece of advice for people who want to learn instruments, perhaps beyond practice, practice, practice? I think what I tell my students, because I'm recognizing the type of student that comes to me um, and asks me for lessons. They tend to be students who are go-getters because they found me on the internet, okay? They do their own research. They, they're very self-driven and they tend to go hard. Okay, like when they start something, they don't know how to end. And I only know this because when you're a content creator and when you're a teacher, you tend to attract like-minded people. So I am also a person who cannot stop a task <laughs> either. Like it takes me forever and I procrastinate like hell to even start the task. But once I do start it, I can't end it. Yes. So <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good thing either. That's not a good thing. I am actively training myself to learn how to start a task on time and how to end a task. And, um, you know, like you can actually train yourself to do this. And I'm actively training myself to do this right now. And it is much better for your work-life balance. Mm -hmm. But in terms of practicing, I now actually straight up give parameters for how long my students are allowed to practice per week, especially for people who are just starting with me. So I always tell them, I want you to focus more on creating those that endorphin rush from having practiced. You need to essentially make yourself want this. So um, in the beginning, you really should start slow. I know it sounds insane, but only do two 15-minute practices per week. That's it. That's all you're allowed to do in the beginning. Because all you're doing is you are making your body want to practice. So I always say, yes, do, do the whatever things that I assign you to do. But at the last like five minutes or so, play whatever you want. Mm. Play whatever you want. Have fun with it. The whole point of you taking lessons with me is to have fun with the flute. So we need to do that, right? So you want to end it with 
end your sessions with something that is really fun for you to do, something that gives you joy, something that makes you feel really happy so that you end your practice session on a really high note, pun intended, okay? <laughs> so like you want to end with an endorphin rush. So your body is going to, your brain is going to get addicted to it and wants to do it again, right? Then I'll be like, okay, after maybe like two weeks, we'll increase it to like three 15 minute sessions, right? And then after that, we increase it to like three 30 minute sessions. And then we increase that to three 40 minute sessions, or maybe they might want to do four 30 minute sessions, you know? But I give them a maximum though. Like I would say minimum to at least slowly get better is three sessions, three 30 minute sessions a week. That typically is actually enough for like a serious hobbyist to get better and better. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a minimum. Um, it's like working out is essentially three 30 minute workout sessions. So um, I was like, that's your minimum if you actually wanna get better. Now, I'm not your boss. So if you do less than that, that is entirely not my problem, you know? Uh, but I'll tell you that if you want to improve at a slow rate, but at a consistent rate, this is the minimum you need. Um, you can maintain with less than that, but you won't get better, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, but I do give a maximum because my students are not music students. Most of them are not music students. I have a few who are, but like most of them are not music students. So I straight up tell them, um, you know, maximum of two hours a day, six days a week. That's at this, that's like music school levels of practicing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that. that's insane already. And, but uh, there are parameters. You're not allowed to do the two hours in one shot. You have to take a break in between. And you cannot do seven days in a row. Hmm. Not allowed. You have to take one day off a week. And in that day off, I tell them that you need to like be a nerd about the flute. Like you have to like foster that passion for being a nerd. So look things up on Instagram, look things up on YouTube, learn about the flute or just learn about music in general or watch a concert or something like that, right? Like mm -hmm. do something nerdy, do something that involves passion with learning about, you know, the flute or just enjoying music, you know? Uh, because if you don't foster that, you're gonna lose it. You have to fan that flame of passion for what you do because if you just practice 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 you are going to lose your passion like because you literally have to practice your passion you know <laughs> if you don't practice your passion it's gonna go away i spent way too long just doing the practice part and not being a nerd you know about mm. the flute you know it was through twitch that i was able to refan that flame so like I will dedicate part of my practice session to just being a nerd mm -hmm. and it absolutely is needed. Great. Wow. That, that was a lot of good insight to that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of years of like observing myself and observing students, mm -hmm. you know, you get to a point where you're like, wait a second, we can't just practice, you know? Yeah. 
what I tried with like one beginner piano kid was mm -hmm. to kind of incorporate, I mean, because I love composing also. And so I figured <sighs> that just, you know, to have them kind of compose a thing, have them mm -hmm. explore their creativity in that way, that yeah. that would be fun for them. And they're learning also, and it's training their ear and they're learning about chords yeah. and learning about all that stuff. So yeah. I figured that was, that was an interesting way to keep things fun. It's a direct yeah. application of mm -hmm. all of those theory concepts, you yeah. know, and they can see it actually working. That's really exciting. It's super fun. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I, that's so cute. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're adorable. <laughs> kids are cute. Yeah, they are. <laughs> the, the little kids learning flute, though, when they're like six or seven or whatever, and they the flute is so long for them <laughs> and they can't breathe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you seen those tiny ones that are designed yeah. for tiny kids? Like uh, plastic ones with like the head. Well, I have curved? I have a plastic one. It actually <laughs> plays. It's Very amazing. Nice. Okay. Um and uh but they actually have designed um flutes where like um so for those of you who are watching this, there is usually a foot joint that is on the flute and it can go quite long, but on a flute designed for a really little kid, they essentially attach only this much of it to the body. Um, so there's no foot joint actually because they, they've attached the D sharp key to it, the little pinky key to it. Um, so they, they basically take, you can only go down to low D on it. Um, and then they take out, I think they take out the trill keys to lighten it up even more. Um, and then they also curve the head joint. Mm -hmm. So these little kids can play like this. Aww. Yeah, and they look very comfortable. And I've actually reviewed one of these before. They play very well and they're so light because, mm. you know, there's like no foot joint on it and it's like no trill keys. So there's like no auxiliary keys at all. Um, mm. It's just literally bare bones flute. And it's great because it lightens it up entirely for the kiddos. And so there's a lot of kiddos now that can learn to play the flute when they're five because now they've actually designed a flute that's light enough for them. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's super cute too. You know, when yeah. you see these little kids, like, <laughs> oh my God. I saw a video the other day of, you know, of a kid playing. And I was just like, oh my God. She was like, she was somewhere like between like age five to eight, something like that. She's a real little kid. And she's just, you know, playing this little like, super tiny flute and I was like oh my god I'm gonna die of the like cuteness oh yeah. um last question from me mm -hmm. and also from DJ I think um if you didn't play flute what instrument would you play Ooh. or what instrument do you want to play probably cello yes good answer <laughs> probably cello uh cause I don't know not, it's not just... viola I mean, I mean, I have a soft spot for viola because my first crush ever was a violist. <laughs> and um, like, it's just, I really like the timbre of the cello. Is yeah. that like really deep sound? You it has know? such a wide range too. Yeah, like yeah. it can sing really high and really sweetly, but then it can also have like a really bottom heavy sound. Mm -hmm. And... I love that. Like the range and the variety of like, you know, timbres that you can get out of a cello. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah. 
delightful. It also like string instruments also just mystify me in general. <laughs> so like it's one of those things where I'm I'm like, oh man, like you know, like what is it like to play mm. it? Because I've never held a cello before. I don't think I have either. <laughs> yeah, I've never held a, any string instrument actually. I've never oh. well. <laughs> I tried to learn how to play guitar because mm. you know, I guess my guitar grade is a string instrument. Right. Yeah. <laughs> my grade five class, I think, put on a guitar. They, they they gave us a guitar class at school, but like my hands are so small. Like I just I couldn't I just oh, I, I couldn't Oh mm -hmm. my god, I just could not do it. And they they were not small guitars. They literally <laughs> got full size guitars for everyone. Oh, no. and I was just like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My best friend's a violist, so I have to mention viola. Of course. Like, well, know. now you're and now your best friend knows. Like you know, violists are awesome. Like seriously, my first crush ever was a violist. <laughs> a very go. soft spot in my heart. There's something about them. <laughs> They're chill. Yeah. They're super chill. I love how in different people with different who play different instruments have like personalities. You're like all flutists yeah. are this way, all violists are this way, they're all French like, horn people are this way. Yeah, they're all. It's like um, Hogwarts houses. Oh my god, yeah. It really is. <laughs> like flutists are all like we're all real ditzy, you know, and like uh, oboists tend to be very like focused. They're very focused, but like also kind of chill but very focused you know clarinetists are the jokesters like really laid back and then bassoonists are kind of like the like <laughs> very quirky quiet but can be snarky if they feel like it they have of. fun socks they do yes yeah i don't know why every bassoonist <laughs> has really fun socks right um yeah so like and the brass like, are just they're just drinking back there yeah they are just <laughs> drinking back there <laughs> I loved hanging out with the brass people because they were just so much more like, I don't know. Not, chill funny. is not the right word. Yeah, they're very funny. Mm. It was just like a comedy group back there like, <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, loved it. Yeah, it's like I, I definitely felt like because of that, music school really did feel like going to Hogwarts. It had mm. that vibe. I feel like the like the strings and the winds were completely opposite. Like they just did not mm -hmm. interact very much at all. Yeah, it's it very much like two different houses, mm -hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> not that we hated each other. We didn't hate each other. No. We, we loved each other very much. But like you just didn't really hang out that much. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for this chat. There's a of lot course. of stuff about music school and flute and yeah. all that. It's great. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Honestly, I love doing like having these kinds of conversations because um like, you know, I feel like normally we don't get the chance to talk about these kinds of topics, you mm -hmm. know? Cuz like when we're talking about life, like why are we going to talk about music school all of a sudden, right? <laughs> So back in the day, right? Start yeah. ranting about <laughs> things. You know, like it's too random, right? Like mm. I feel like I really enjoy these conversations too because I also feel like it's nice to have a colleague to be like, "Oh, you feel that too?" Cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Also, especially like 
between you and I, like how we're in both the classical world and this kind of whatever this mm-hmm. jumble is of online yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. and pop culture things. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, not we many people. straddle that, that line. Like mm-hmm. it, it's very strange to be in both worlds at the same time. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's nice I to have it. somebody in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because otherwise it feels very lonely. You For know. sure. Yeah. yeah. So where can people find you on the internet? Well, um, you know, you'll find me. Well, the most active, weirdly enough, is actually Twitch, even though I don't have a huge audience there. Um, so twitch.tv forward slash just another flautist. Um, and then on YouTube is uh, just another flutist. Um, and where else? I am on kind of your main social medias, um, but really they just serve as notification um, <laughs> platforms for when I'm live and stuff and when I upload a video. But I am there on uh, Facebook, just another flutist, and Twitter is at JA Flutist because I signed up when Twitter had a um, character limit mm. to you know how and just another flutist was too long so ja flutist it is it really should have been jaf but oh well um and then uh i'm uh, at just another flutist on instagram and nice. yeah i would say i think that's yeah i think that's it that's where i am and i you know i have a website just another flutist.com <laughs> um if you want to check out what i do sweet so, thanks yeah. in, in my twitch Thank bio you. it's literally like I'm a I'm a singer songwriter composer flutist slash flautist slash fluter slash everything flute player. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Thank Great. you. Thank you for having me on.